Hello, I'm Zach Robichaud. And I'm Jackie Mignot. You're listening to The Podcast Made Flesh. Conversations about an embodied faith. We are coming to you from self-isolation, Zooming with people to talk about the incarnation. We're not reporters or experts, but we are questioners. And we are on a quest to have a conversation around the central Christian belief that God became flesh. Generally, Indigenous societies were oral, so mm. a lot of it would not have um, written forms of prayer. Right. Um, so, like the ceremony and the actions, um, like those become the words too, right? Right. Well, welcome to this episode of the podcast Made Flesh. Um, we're going to be talking with Shannon Perez, who is uh, the Justice and Reconciliation Mobilizer for the CRC and A. The CRC. The Christian Reformed Church of oh, North okay. America. So her job is to, and she'll say more about this, but her job is to support the Indigenous ministries that the denomination does and also to help um, churches engage in justice, learning about justice, learning history, um, learning all sorts of things to do with reconciliation. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll hear more about that in a little bit. Yeah, it, it was a challenging conversation. Not mm. not that it was difficult to talk to Shannon, but just again, all the reminders of mm -hmm. really how faith has been expressed very badly mm. uh, towards First Nations peoples. Um, yeah. And then really how we continue to carry on expressing faith or or practicing faith in those ways of power mm -hmm. or efficiency or um, firm doctrines uh, that may not be helpful or that are not helpful um, and that are dismissive of other ways mm. of knowing other ways of doing. So it was, it was good and yeah. most good things are challenging. So, yeah. Yeah. So and listen um, and we invite you to one of the themes that kind of keep kept coming up was to um, be okay in the, in, in the taking time and the waiting. So if this is a new conversation for you, maybe take some time and be okay in the waiting with not an answer, but with the, the question and what you're being invited into. My name is Shannon Pettis and I live um, and work out of Winnipeg. And I am the Justice and Reconciliation Mobilizer for the Christian Reformed Church. And one part of my, my job is to give um, staff support to the Canadian Indigenous Ministry Committee of the, the CRCNA. And um, how I got to be in this position was I started off as a, a committee member, volunteer, um, before and another person had this position uh, before I came on and I had uh, young kids at home I, I wasn't working and I was on this committee and the person that was in this position he stepped down to raise his kids um, and then I went to work in his position mm. so um, that's great <laughs> it's yeah. interesting that that switch mm-hmm mm -hmm. And then um, part of working 
giving support to the committee is uh, working with them to uh, create awareness um, that could be resources or learning ways and, and reaching out to churches on what it means to do reconciliation. So a lot of that would be um, understanding um, like injustice and, and what justice looks like. And, um, and a lot of it is understanding history mm -hmm. and, and to why it impacts today and going forward in a better way that doesn't repeat. Right. In a nutshell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, yeah. Those are huge things in a nutshell, right? Yes. Yeah. Because everyone is on a different starting point and mm. being Canada so vast, there's different contexts regionally um, to understanding what justice would look like. It's not uh, a one answer. So that, that also adds another level to it. Right. I want to, I want to get back to that um, in terms of justice, having different answers in different locations in Canada. That's really interesting. Um, but can you say a little bit more about how you um, envision helping churches enter the reconciliation or enter that maybe a little bit more there? Yeah, I am. Um, a lot of my time is um, I haven't spent a lot of time searching out churches given I, I am part time. So mm -hmm. a lot of the times it'd be supporting the committee. Um, and also working internally with the denomination about um, this work. So they, I, they need to understand what it is as well and to turn around mm. and inform churches. So there's a bit of a, um, having to uh, look inside the denomination, do work outside, and, and um, somehow get the messages to both sides to mm. understand the direction. I, a lot of times churches or members of churches will come to me and we'll start off with, um, with, uh, their inquiry, whether it will come from sometimes a phone call or an email saying, you know, I did a search and your name came up and, and we'll talk from there. So I will do my best to understand their contacts and, and then through the discussion, you know, say, okay, well, this is what we have to offer, or this is the messaging that we want to uh, work with as we are learning reconciliation, because there's not been a template before to work from. It's all hmm. learning, um, I'll say on the go, but um, just learning what works well, what hasn't worked well, learning from that and, and sharing, a lot of sharing. Right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. There's no template for for what this is. Yeah. Just not to repeat what was done in the past. Yes. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had a question. Just, I mean, you mentioned the scope of Canada and, you know, the varieties of contexts. How, how do you not get overwhelmed with being able to represent, you know, how to best... Uh, communicate mm. or understand all of these contexts when your contexts, uh, you know, may not encompass all of that. So, I, I, yeah, how do you feel about that? Because I, I would feel overwhelmed. 
overwhelmed and sometimes there's uh, a caution of uh, wanting to um, be tokenized, like, okay, let's talk to right. Shannon. Shannon is the one to go to, right? right? So there's that yeah. one part of it to be cautious and always a um, bit of a disclaimer that like what I share is my experience and, and what I know. And, and again, raising the awareness that my perspective is not everyone's perspective so sometimes that that is a conversation in of itself when Mm -hmm. we talk about things because I could be saying oh well you need to consider this but um, that's only coming from my place and maybe I don't know something about that that place that they need to consider something else totally different so it's um a lot of times I tell people when I talk to them that I'll probably leave you with more answers, more questions than answers. Right. And it'll probably seem more foggier after speaking with me because there's all these considerations. Yeah. Can, can you give us an example? Because I, I guess, um, because I would say not a lot of people are engaged in this kind of dialogue or, you know, engaged in reconciliation directly. Um, what does that work look like and what kind of conversations do you end up having? Is there an example that you can share without kind of betraying Um, any kind of trust or anything like that? Yeah, I I think I could talk generally about um, a practice, um, for instance, a smudging. And that is one that is um, uh, just burning of medicines and, 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 um, really using the smoke to uh, as um, as a visual sensory way to pray that has been what I've been told but when you go to other places um, there might be strong hurt against uh, with the Christian with the Christian teachings that are in that community so some people may not want to um, uh, associate any Christian um, doctrines with with smudging, and then there are people who, Indigenous Christians, who will see um, smudging as a form of prayer, and will will think in those terms of uh, a Christian theology in in the smudging, and mm. then you got people who um, are in the middle of that and um, think you shouldn't be mixing any of the two. Uh, whatever way it is it um right. so and there's a lot of um a lot of talking about why 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 are we at a point where we have to judge whether it's good to do or not to do not yeah. in a way to dismiss the discernment process of of, mm-hmm. of your faith in, in a negative way but just why is the why is there an initial fear and judgment when when someone is smudging uh-huh. and, and looking at that? Uh-huh. That's that. I sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I'm good. Oh, I I was gonna say that is such an interesting um interesting is not the right word. That's such a kind of profound way to view reconciliation through even that lens of how do we. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm going to throw some words at this. I'm just trying to spin <laughs> as I do. How do we let each other be each other? Yes. Right. In 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 the ways that are the truest 
for each other. How do we do that? Exactly. Yeah. And that's such an I would like to build upon that because when you look at the history, that has not been allowed for indigenous people to find their way in who God created them to be, um, to to hear the message of, of the salvation. Because that was done with violence. It was done with, uh, do away with the way God created you and be this way. And that was reinforced um, very violently through residential schools. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of identity that was taken away. um, A lot of shame that was associated with anything indigenous. And, um, So that the question about um, having the space to do it, there's always with the identity being taken away and um, being taught that anything is indigenous is is evil or pagan. Uh, how do you create that space? That's another level to to work through. Right. But what's causing that block? Like what? Right. So when you think back to it, like the doctrine of discovery, when Mm -hmm. Europeans came here, um, in order to justify uh, taking the land and the resources from it, they had to say that the people on the land were um, had no souls and that they were not humans. They were inferior. So that justified the treatment that they received. And that line of thinking of their inferior just meant that um, they um, that whatever they're involved in is inferior too. So it, it that that's where I talk about like it came with violence. The message of the gospel came with violence. It didn't come with love, with the, yeah. with the slavery, with the killings, with the genocides. Um, none of that came with love. Right. And there's a disembodying there too. Like you, if 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 you if a people is being told that they're not human or if they're being treated as if they're not human uh, there's uh yeah there, yeah and that's there's no good happened, there. and yeah. that's how strong the message is carried forward and it plays out in different ways in le- legal ways whereas um again if they're inferior then they don't know how to hold title they don't understand title therefore we know how to own. We know how to hold title and ownership. Therefore, we have the right to the land, right. and they don't. So then you have the inequities of economic wealth that we are seeing today. So mm-hmm. those are the implications of the thought of in the past how um, the people here were thought of inferior, which is not how God made us to mm-hmm. be felt and treated. Right coming to terms with the damage done to the image of God in, in our indigenous brothers and sisters is like coming to terms with that is the, I mean, a lifetime of work and um, listening. Like it it should, it just, I mean, you can tell even Zach and I are just like shutting up because we're like, how do we hold even the truth of these in, in a conversation? So, and that's good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's good when Doc and I shut up. <laughs> well, there's it's a heavy, hard. Yeah. There is a heaviness there that doesn't, um, 
and and this I think is where um, words just don't capture it either. So we can't just write a statement, um, or even you know the the TRC report. Um, you can read that and you can you can feel it, but watching watching testimony is much more different um, and, and much more impactful. And there's not really a verbal way to respond to that. Right. And I don't think we're equipped to respond non-verbally. <laughs> right. And that's a challenge, right? How to, to respond non-verbally. And, and that puts me to, makes me think of an important aspect that a lot I don't see happening is lament in the Christian mm. faith, like lament what was lost mm. and, and lament what could have been. So what, yeah. does lament look different among First Nations than you know, it would? It's um, yes and no. Like Indigenous people, you might even see them laughing at a funeral, uh, and it's not disrespectful, you know. Um, yeah. The key. So um, this this well, it's April first, but. Uh, March, my, my uncle died. Um, thank you. He, uh, he, he died. Um, uh, he, he was sick and we knew he had cancer and, and he was dying. But the saddest part of it, no, okay, not the saddest part, but one part of the process is that as my family and I were gathered around his hospital bed, um, we all had blank looks in our eyes because we didn't know what to do that we could respect him in our own culture. Mm-hmm. We, we, we didn't know what was appropriate to do because that teaching wasn't there because it got disrupted with, with a forced relocation and it got disrupted with residential schools. So any teachings that would have been done to help through the grief process um, in a culturally relevant way in your own identity couldn't happen. It didn't happen um, in a way when we're all there with my uncle. And that's, again, one of the, um, the deepest part of, of, of all of the cons, like this is a, a, a consequence of what has happened in the past that is coming, being played out today. How mm-hmm. do you honor someone who passed away in, in the identity in a cultural way that is meaningful to go through a grief process? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And then, and then, um, we didn't have a privacy. There was like three other, um, right. patients in the room and we're all gathered there. And my auntie, she sang a song in her language and, and said a, the Lord's Prayer in her language. And um, and then my head, I went to be thinking, like, who has the right to judge what we're doing is not Christian? Like, that's where my right. head went in the middle of this. And I'm like, someone out there would probably think us singing and praying in our language is unchristian and very pagan. And I'm like, how, how could someone mm. um, make that judgment without knowing? Right. Just because you're, it's even being done in your own language. Yes. Like there's an automatic judgment. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. And I've seen that played out at, in other places as well. Mm-hmm. So those are the things that are, are, are facing Indigenous people is those instances where you're constantly having to, to justify, to defend what you're doing without the benefit of a relationship. And that's what, when we come back to the work that I do in the Christian Reformed Church, it's like, well, before you start, what relationships do you have that you could start your learning from, you know, without burdening the indigenous people, right? But right. a true mutual relationship. Yeah, yeah. That's, I think, so that's really challenging because that's how you and I met is me writing you an email saying, I'm, I want to somehow, somehow make this a part of our church's life. And I don't, I don't even know the right ways. And you're like, just go do it. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Right? Right? I didn't tell, like, it was hard to do. I didn't tell you, like, it, uh, an answer. Like, hey, I got somebody for you, right? Right. And <laughs> you had to do that investment, that work. Well, and that's so key, I think, to making this, like, in an embodied reality is, like, sometimes we look for answers and solutions that we can just implement, just a policy of this or that. And um, that's not the work. The work is not to come up with another, I mean, policy is good, but is not to come up with an answer that we can just like, Oh, check did it. Right. But it's, it's a deeper um, going into like, yeah, my identity as a daughter of Christ, a daughter of God, your identity as a daughter of God, how do we then hold this all together in a healing in a healing way. Um, yeah. So that's, that's what I love about you. <laughs> You're like, just go do it. <laughs> you look at this, look at that, and then go do it. <laughs> um, from your, your, your location where you are, you're in Winnipeg, um, you're doing this work. You also have your whole history. What does an embodied faith look like? What would it, a faith that took your body, your personhood, um, so so seriously. What what does that look like to you? It's a it's a tough one, right? Because, um, like I am Indigenous and I live in Winnipeg, and um, it's very easy to see the injustice Indigenous mm-hmm. people face in Winnipeg, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to maybe Ontario, mm-hmm. um. I say that because um, I, I, I've been to Ontario. You don't see a lot of Indigenous people unless you go into an right. area specifically, but there seems to be an invisible barrier. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Winnipeg, um, not, not so much. Um, so it's easy to see the injustice. It's easy to see the strong, resilient Indigenous people, mm-hmm. too, in Winnipeg, not just um, the one-sided um, marginalized, but it, it, you could see strong Indigenous people in Winnipeg very mm. much doing a lot mm. of um, good work. And um, the thing is, is that um, when I'm done work, like it, it doesn't end, right? right. Now I'm I'm at home and I'm facing all the um, the legacy of colonialism in in my family, so mm. it, it doesn't stop. So the embodiment is at work and then coming home. So sometimes 
um, even asking people to to do the work and step outside their comfort zone and, and um, do some investment, whether it might be relief or or some kind of work like that takes energy and time of people. And sometimes I don't have the energy or time to even serve my family. Yeah. You know, I'm tired. And and then it's hard to say, well, to to tell people, well, that's what you need to do. And then not expected of myself that mm. that's been um the hard part too is you know telling telling people when they ask what can we do well take the time like invest and and do that hard work yeah and then sometimes i'm really tired and i don't i don't feel up to it yeah yeah what what does resting look like for you these days? I don't know if that's a good question either, but <laughs> it's usually being at home, like with, yeah. with my family. Yeah. 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 That's, that's good. And now we're all at home. I know. All the time <laughs> together. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, we tend to kind of put things into economic terms or scientific terms. Um, and we've done that with, uh, faith um, over the last couple thousand years, the Christian faith has, you know, morphed into a philosophy maybe early on and then into a governmental system and then an economic system. Um, what ways, uh, what's, what, what do indigenous people kind of recognize is lacking? Um, and I've heard a couple things uh, in the Christian faith because I, I think there's a lot that can be brought to the table and um, but it may not be valued because it's not put into economic or, you know, in, in, in some kind of power structure term. And you mentioned mm -hmm. violence before and any kind of expression of Christianity where there's power uh, tends to kind of all of a sudden slide right into violence. What, what kind of expressions of Christianity um, or just faith are, are lacking uh, it's a, it's kind of a big question, but I'll, I'll, I'll kind of leave it open. I think um, what I'm hearing answered is because of that thinking of main, that that superiority thinking and, and the infor, inferiority and and they don't there's a there's a thinking that indigenous people don't know how to do it themselves that that's mm. been mm. Um, uh, an underlying theme and, and policy in, in Canada and, and that plays out in um, at what level are with the people at the power at what how much are they going to let indigenous people be a part of decision making so um, it's been really hard to to um, work in that system where someone holds the power and um, and you know that that power is broken, how mm -hmm. it's being used, but everything else is tied up. And how do you work within that system? And even thinking like, why do we have to work in that system? Like indigenous people, before people came across the pond, they were, they were sovereign. They had their own laws. They had their own governing systems. And a lot of, and some of them, um, have been carried forward to today. And there are people even asking the question, like, 
the legality, legitimacy of hereditary chiefs. Like even having that question asked shows like they feel they have the power to decide and judge mm -hmm. on the legitimacy of, of a chief. Right. You know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the, uh, just, just even the power structures of the West. Um, if we were to listen to those different ways of governance, um, how would that change how, because I'm looking at my life, I'm not Indigenous, but I want to learn a better way of doing it. I see the West as not having figured it out <laughs> super well. Some things, yes, hey, they, you know, there are some things that I think, hey, I teach math. The mathematics that was developed over the last 400 years in Europe and North America and now globally um, is pretty good. I'm pretty impressed with the math. Um, but uh, military-industrial complex, not a big fan. I don't think we figured that out in a good way. Um, what, what, is a, what is a contribution that you see that... Um, Indigenous peoples can can kind of highlight and say, you know what, this is a this is a good way of life, and that I think people would be able to resonate with uh, across um, national borders, uh, across cultural lines, um, just to recognize, oh, this actually resonates more with Christ, or resonates more with my heart than maybe my own culture has represented it. Again, it's the, um, it, it, I feel it's even answered in your own question. Um, mm -hmm. The partnerships, the reciprocity, the uh, opportunity to live in this land where everyone could share in the resources mm -hmm. of, of this land. And um, the way the system has been created, it has benefited um non-indigenous Canadians and, and right. the Canadian and the indigenous people that live in Canada um, are not are not are not partners like you could see the inequality in the wealth and the decision making of policies so, so how, even, how, but, how would the decision making be different um, through let's say the hereditary chiefs uh, in in northern BC or uh, how would the decision making happen in regards to resources happen differently than how you know you get uh, you apply for a permission to uh, have a mine on crown land? Like how how would that be different? Well, and this is being played out in northern BC, and that's the free prior informed consent and understanding that. That consent is not just, I'm going to put a pipeline. Oh, you got problems? Thanks for letting me know. And dismissive. Like consult, consultation is not dismissive. It's an opportunity for that, for that reciprocal relationship, everyone to have an opportunity to trust that mm -hmm. all the concerns are heard and will be addressed. Mm -hmm. And that's the part, the trust. And mm -hmm. we don't see that trust being played out in Northern BC about um about belief in what is going to happen and you're working in a situation that is is full of hurt and mistrust given the history of canada where resource extraction 
um, has had huge negative effects on the environment and on the people that live next to it, the, the term environmental racism. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And so so just, just so that I, tell me if I'm understanding correctly. Um, so just the process would be different um, if everyone were to sit down and just take the time to- Take the time. To, take the time to listen mm-hmm. to everyone. Yes. Ensure that everyone feels heard. Um, yeah. The word that I'm, I'm, the word that's coming to mind is consensus. Yeah. Where everyone can kind of leave a meeting and say, yeah, this is where we've arrived and yeah. I'm okay with that. Um, I feel like my concerns have been heard. I feel that I'm going to be listened. Uh, I feel that I'm going to be respected. Um, and, and what I offered as part of the concerns, you know, somehow I'll trust that in your experts in your field, you will address my concerns. Mm. And if not, like, let's look at a way that um, there, it, it's um, uh, where everyone can benefit, where it's, right. it's not the case, where it, it, the benefits are very um, unequal and unjust. Mm. I hear like even going back to the a few questions ago what maybe what a, a broad understanding of christian faith needs and could hear even through this living through this um these real life questions of reconciliation in canada what this faith in an embodied christ could hear is is how power needs to be renegotiated like i think that's the the thing yeah how yeah. we hold um authority authority needs to is the thing the christian church could maybe learn and live into yeah yeah um, it's um yeah. It, it's really the power of like you know indigenous people and i say this like very I can't speak for them, right. but there's more to it than, than just protecting the land, right. right? Like there's other things that, um, through media that we're not understanding the picture and, and this is being played out where all of Canada can judge and give mm-hmm. their thoughts into a situation, right? So that also adds another level and, and, um, just, you're right. How how does power being shared? How consensus? How is that being done? Because if I'm coerced, blackmailed, threatened, that's not giving permission. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. ultimately, you're if you badger me enough and wear me down, mm-hmm. that's not consent. And how people can live like that is and think that that's a way to get permission. Is that Christian? Is that a Christian value to to wear down, badger relentlessly to get what you want? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes, like we see that playing out, like with our our prime minister saying that pipeline is going to go in no matter what, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that relentlessness—it's even if um, uh, the prime minister hears the concerns. It, and says, okay, yeah, thanks for your concerns. Um, the the pipe will still go in. Right. Is that is that true listening? Is that true consensus? Right. Is that true Christian? 
That's a good question. It it is. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I knew you'd bring it, Shannon. (laughs) The the land has been mentioned a lot. Uh, Mm -hmm. How does the land inform faith? Um, Right. And that's the thing. That has not been the opportunity where Indigenous people can share that because it's been dismissed, disregarded, devalued, shamed, uh, taken away. So there has not been an opportunity. And as Indigenous people are trying to reclaim what was taken away, what was shamed, what was shunned, what was violently um, dismissed, mm-hmm. um, everyone is is questioning it, right? And, and some people will be like, well, that's not how they did it pre-contact, so it, it's not true form. But, mm-hmm. you know, culture and people are not static. They grow, mm-hmm. right? So, and there's adaptability. So no, it's not going to look the same and it's going to be influenced by relationships and, and the, the, the living. So again, that's a new area. How do we understand the teachings that were fragmented that still come today in our world today with all the other teachings that are, we have in competition? So what I want to go into, like, what are some of those teachings? Yeah, I couldn't tell you, right? Yeah. Like, and this is where we go back to my uncle's hospital bed when he died. We don't know. Some, some, some communities, indigenous elders, um, ha- do remember their teachings, right? And now there's an urgency to try to not let them um, not let those teachings die with those elders. Right. And given the COVID-19, um, mm. that's another layer of urgency. Like once, once they're gone, they're gone. Uh-huh. Right. Right. The identity, right? Yeah. Mm. Taking something elemental like smudging to even form new ways of uh, expressing or experiencing faith. So I I can imagine myself praying um, or I can pray um, and asking God to show me the way how, what does smudging as opposed to just, you know, kind of folding your hands, closing your eyes and bowing your head. uh, What does smudging do as, because I see the medicine coming from the land um, a cultural um, tie to the experience, uh, family tie to the experience um, or to the practice. Um, what, what does that do? Because I, I can't, I mean, I've seen it happen. I've, I've never, I've never participated in a smudge um, personally. So how is prayer different than just, you know, folding your hands and bowing your head? I'll, I'll bounce that back to you, Jackie, because uh, given your experience um, in, in Winnipeg, when we would have had uh, had some smudge led by Indigenous people, mm-hmm. would you like to share? Well, yeah, and, and again, it's like I can only talk from what I know, and I think so much of um, prayer from where I – so I came from um, – maybe more of a Pentecostal charismatic 
background when I was younger. So prayer was something big and demonstrative, um, but not, uh, but kind of just all in the body and not, it wasn't for me in my experience, it wasn't very integrated. So to be big and demonstrative in your body, you had to not think about things. (laughs) So that was my experience. And so then the other, the flip side of that in Christian experience is like, um, it's all about your head and I will just pray these words and, and it kind of stays up here and doesn't move into this heart space. Um, like Zach said, like just fold your hands and this is prayer. What's so funny. I actually once, um, was asked to kind of teach about contemplative prayer for kids. And I remember getting ready for that. And, um, and my daughter who does go to a Christian school, so she has experiences with prayer and things in a classroom. Um, and I was like, so eventually, like, what do you think prayer is? And she said, um, well, it's not looking out the window and it's not touching your neighbors. Obviously, because when they prayed, it was like, okay, stop Johnny looking out the window. Oh, you know, stop touching, you know, like that's what prayer had become in her head already at in grade one. So it's kind of really uh, focused individual and it doesn't mean that prayer is not individual but what was so um life-giving in winnipeg and in times before so we had um a lady named cheryl shane on gray eyes come to our church and lead us in the blanket exercise and then she also sang at my ordination which is just still like amazing to me that that even happened um, and she brought, and she talked to us a little bit about smudging and she gave my, me myself, like a smudge kit that she had made from things from her own backyard, um, like sage that grew on the hill beside her house and cedar from her trees. And it was beautiful, but I kind of held it. I didn't totally know what to do with it. So just sat in my, in my room for a while. And then in Winnipeg, the opportunity to, um, like just in a really visceral way, hear songs in conjunction with smelling something in conjunction with being with people. Like it, it just was an all sensory thing for one. Uh. It was highly um, symbolic, but also participatory. So when um, I, I forget her name, the woman who led us in our prayers every morning, right. And, and Rhonda, Rhonda, was that Rhonda? And um and she would just offer the 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 smoke to each person in the room and the sense that we are we take a second for ourselves but we're all doing this together and we take as much time as it takes and that was beautiful um and i think it took it out of me needing to figure out words and answers to pray and just into an action that my my intention is that god uh, you would be present and that I would be changed. This is kind of, this is the action I'm going to offer up. I don't know if that makes any sense. So that's my experience as like coming from my weird background, of trying to figure out how do I, how do I connect with something bigger than myself with the God who knows me and loves me. And this is a way that, oh my gosh, I think we have been missing a way that's not just show and not just inside our heads, but something that's integral um, I, I don't know. That's, and then what's funny is that when I came home and I was having a day a few weeks later and this overwhelming sense of, I really want to, um, 
like our bodies are so amazing how they respond to memory and my it was like a I don't craving is not the right word but it was like a desire to smell the smell of that sage smoke because I needed I wanted to be in that place of rest again with God and I want and so my body was like wanted to link that way through a visceral sense of my visceral sense of smell and engaging with it that way I thought that was when I I was like oh oh that's why God uses our bodies and our senses in this like it's not we're forgetful beings yeah. oh we are forgetful <laughs> beings like and how powerful that that can draw us back in a real way I don't know and you got so it. that's my experience I don't know and you gotta remember too like one one part of it is um a lot of generally indigenous societies were oral so mm. a lot of it would not have um written forms of prayer right um so like the ceremony and the actions um like those become the words too right right yeah that's that was it yeah they became the words i wanted to say but i said in my body instead of and with the smell and yeah with with that time being taken and it it's mm. um again as it's being learned and reclaimed and understood what the hardest part is is having to face the judgment oh what you're doing is not christian right, right. that's the hardest part yeah. Well, no, I am Christian. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. That's a horrible, I, I, I've experienced that just even just with my beliefs. So if my beliefs don't line up with someone, someone else's beliefs, they're like, well, I don't know if you're Christian then. And it's like, oh, um, thank you. <laughs> so, but yeah. So, so uh, imagine that yeah. compounded by generations of being mm-hmm. told that mm-hmm. what you're you not do a is person. not Christian. You're not a yeah. person. Yeah. What that does to um, mm-hmm. communities, and mm-hmm. and then how other people will treat you based on on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of compounding. Yeah. yeah. You unpack that compounding. Yeah. yeah. I'm a little. I'm. I'm. I'm sad that we're just doing this in a verbal way. <laughs> right. Because, you know, we're, you know, we're talking about experience and just sitting mm-hmm. and waiting and patience and all of these things. Um, a few things struck me is that, you know, just all of the ways that, let's say, we, we if we talk about the government or the crown, the way that it has kind of imposed laws or just imposed its way of life, um, and and just as Christianity has done so too, um, it's always been done in a very legal, you know, very efficient, legal, um, proclamation, doctriny kind of way, as opposed to sitting and allowing the spirit of concern for one another or the spirit of mutual responsibility like all of those things uh, just kind of get lost when you want to be efficient and get things down written. Mm. <laughs> so now I'm losing all my words, <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it just seems like time 
and trust and um, yeah, just that waiting isn't isn't present in the way that the West has kind of conducted business and conducted faith. Faith is just very like it's defined by doctrinal statements and you know, order of service and and all of these things. But now and now we've we've kind of lost our way. When when you were talking about um, you know all the senses, Jackie, you know that that's very much an orthodox christian way of doing things mm-hmm. and that's been very disconnected from the west as well so where you have the icons and you have the incense and you have um moving around as a corporate body and you know and kissing the icons and you know all, all of these things are are very physical and mm-hmm. and we, we've lost that too we don't have time for that we right. want to make sure that we're efficient that we're following the law to a t <laughs> in a sense. So, yeah. It's It's funny, even just that sense of, you said, like, I think, oh, what we're being asked to pay attention to here is, is how do we build in time and trust and waiting um, that is needed for good relationship and, and healed relationships. Healed. Healed, right? Um, Mm. And also, those are like essential to actual trust in God, right? Like coming up, I can say all the things we believe, Uh but time and trust and waiting is what, where that rubber hits the road in my own life. And then in the ripples out in my family and all these things. So I, I just feel like the question is so, yeah. Anyways, I don't know what, where to to go with that. (laughs) We could cut out that sentence. No, no. But I think, I think that's ultimately where we land because we're talking, Mm -hmm. we're using the word reconciliation, which basically means healing. Hmm. And so even if we look at sin as a sickness and spending time with God to cure or heal that sickness, we can't do that quickly. That's not Mm -hmm. done in a little quick prayer and be like, all right, now I'm perfect. You know, now I can't do any wrong. Um, (laughs) Our relationships require time to heal, especially after the egregious actions of that we're currently doing and and for generations. Mm -hmm. So that time. Yeah. So that approach. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, the first time I picked up the little, it's a, it's kind of a, a, uh, an abridged version of the calls to action. Yeah. I was like, oh, great. Now we can just, you know, <laughs> do these things. And I'm looking at, oh, well, doing these things is going to take, oh, decades. <laughs> it's going to mm-hmm. take decades. And that's okay. I think there needs to be just a, all right, so let's start here. And, you know. Okay, and now with a little bit of education and, and, and do this as well, and this, and this, mm-hmm. um, and enter the process without really knowing, or maybe not fully understanding why, or fully understanding where, where the end will take us, but yeah, yeah, something better than this can't be the way God has made us to be with one another. What yep. we even still see this is not cannot possibly be right <laughs> right um so i i want to end not that i want to end on a happy note <laughs> hopeful need to note. do that <laughs> hopeful that's right not we talked to someone yesterday who talked a lot about telling stories that um 
uh, not that tied everything up in a bow, but that ended with an offering of, of hope. So I, so maybe that's what we could do. Um, but what, where are you seeing good news happen in real life ways? It, it's the resiliency that's yeah. still, that's still being done. And mm-hmm. so, uh, some people may not like the resiliency. It may form in like real hardcore activism, but mm. the resiliency, there's um, uh, wanting to stay true to your principles. Like, and I go back to some like example of Northern BC um, to the non-Indigenous people, you're living in community or near a community where they have such a strong desire. Like it's super important to them. If it, if you see your neighbor and a cause that this neighbor is having and it's super important to them, why are people just sitting on a fence and not mm-hmm. um, and not joining their neighbor in what is super important to their neighbor? Right. You know, there's there's that too, mm-hmm. and um and understanding the disruption like there is a lot of backlash to the blockades and and understanding that um you know that disruption is not just to be mean and and whatnot but there's a purpose behind that and and understanding that purpose understanding Mm -hmm. that cause and the resiliency and understanding that it just that is what is taking right now and and not just uh um not just something easy like this is mm-hmm. there these are tough um what has happened to indigenous people is so high that the response has to match that mm. to to um to start that it's not um you start small but a lot of people doing small things you know the the response will start to match the injustice indigenous right. people face Our recording today has been done online as we are temporarily locked out of the Calgary Central Library and locked into our homes due to the pandemic. Music graciously provided by Jennifer Oikawa. Check out Escape Plan to Canada by the Jen Oikawa Trio. Support us by rating us and reviewing us on your favorite podcast platform.